the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. That we do. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Your Other Side of Texas. Thanks for telling your friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. As we roll along here on this Wednesday edition of the program, going to get Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, in here with us. And then we're going to do some uh, tech talk at... Uh, about uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes from now, we'll have Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions in. What is going on with Facebook and all the... Are we going to just have to cancel our Facebooks? We're all just going to have to jump off at risk of selling our identity down the river? And now they've gotten into our pictures and our uh, our private messages. And lest I sound like a backcountry kook on that, I'll let Mike Bazaar get into it a little bit more coming up but for now broadcasting from the racer car wash studios went through racer car wash today made that truck look great again except for the new scratch on the truck get into that here in just a moment let racer car wash voted lubbock's best wash five years running stop into one of five convenient locations across hub city for the best wash round guaranteed racerwash.com you want to be part of the program you text in your thoughts with us as we roll along 806-745-5800 that's 806-745-5800 yeah the uh new ding on the truck so the trucks paid off the pay with cash thing and um good looking good looking truck and it's not brand new it's a 12 it's 2012 and that's fine and uh but i i like my stuff to be taken care of being the fiscal conservative that i am at least in my house without hamstringing my region which is funny so let me just backtrack for just a second I was asked, uh, I was speaking at a couple of conferences coming up, and then uh, the Avalanche Journal, of course, and the Amarillo Globe News had my column in. They said, how should we classify you politically? And I said, I don't know how you want to classify me politically. And and uh, I said, I call myself a prairie populist. And they said, well, what's that mean? I said, well, I'm pretty moderate economically. I'm socially conservative, but I don't beat people over the head with it. So what do you want to do with that? I call it prairie populism. I'm I'm a proponent of my place. Um, but in our house, we, we do rub nickels and we make things work. And so we got the tundra. The tundra's paid off and it has been paid off and... Uh, took a couple of amenities there at the Lisa and Ponderosa got some new wheels and tires put on the Tundra looks good um, I'm digging it and uh, Grace had her bicycle Grace is 11 now had her big girl bicycle I'd been meaning to repair it and on a 
a few weeks now and then on Sunday I had the opportunity to go out and fix the bicycle which I did I didn't even have to look at a YouTube video and uh, fixed the bike up made the tires great again and she was pretty wobbly need because it had been a few weeks since she'd ridden and she rode out of the back fence and went right in with that handlebar down the side of the truck and as soon as i heard it i thought that's not rubber on metal that's metal on metal and sure enough it looks like uh, i've got a glen close in my life and the key uh, it looks like i got keyed up the side of my truck so you see the truck around no it's not that i've got a uh, boiling rabbit on my stove it's that i've got a wobbly need 11 year old and you know mistakes are mistakes she didn't mean to do it and um so i'm I'm good with it but you know on that i got a couple things i want to get into and one of them is this charles schwartner thing you know about five and a half hours from lubbock just above round rock as you go into austin i-35 there's a state senator named charles schwartner who was not proven guilty or innocent in a University of Texas finding. A, uh, they did an investigation about him sexting. New new term here. Proud conservative Charles Schwartner sexting with a uh, UT, I believe a UT grad student. And I don't know how much time I want to put into that. Something that is on the stack that looks here's my thing Lubbock County is crazy so far if you're listening and and you're just a day-to-day guy and there are a lot of day-to-day guys who like to listen and just get some nuggets and we're going to get into vet school here in just a second but get some nuggets about what's happening going on uh, here on the program like I think that on the left in Lubbock, you could very well elect a uh, Hugo Chavez on the right. There are a lot of guys who I'm pretty sure if David Koresh were still in this world, uh, would vote for David Koresh, who themselves look a lot like David Koresh and talk a lot like David Koresh. And it's just crazy. It just seems to me that the time is ripe to begin to think about maybe a third way maybe maybe there should be a prairie populist platform i'm not trying to organize anything i'm simply suggesting that for a lot of people what is going on in the county republican county democratic uh, meetings is so far outside their purview that this is why a lot of people don't care about politics because it's not worth caring about what some of these advocates one of these some of these strong believers want to be upheld it's not about engagement to them it's about win at all cost and uh and lose if you must it's not about what's doing right for the greatest amount of people and i totally get that disdain um Maybe there should be a rise of 
prairie populism. I think for a lot of people to connect these two topics together, to talk politics is like thinking about the headache of getting a big old uh, handlebar on the bicycle down the side of the truck. Just a big screech. And enough going on. Kids involved with all these things, all these things going on. You don't have time to sit down and think through um, Chavez versus Koresh. I mean, this is crazy town. Uh, Jerry won't give the last name. Jerry in our anonymous mailbag asking, do we have the firepower to get a vet school done? I think that what's the misnomer for me is how much Joe Strauss, the former House Speaker, did on the vet school. How much he worked personally to get it done. And I don't know that you've got that commitment from the next speaker. And I don't mean to be derogatory towards uh, Dennis Bonin, the presumptive next speaker of the House. But it takes a little bit more than just, hey, uh, let the House rule the House. Uh, There has to be leadership that's involved that wants something to happen of the magnitude of vet school. Especially the magnitude that John Sharp has put in before it and we've had you know last week we had uh president skubanek of texas tech university on the show talking about the sort of firepower that john sharp at texas a&m is putting into this thing but do we have the firepower to counteract and i I think that you have to look at this and go through a few things Uh, one is to look at and i get this question a lot Why does Texas Tech want a vet school in Amarillo? Why can't it be in Lubbock? Because whenever you expand out and you bring entities into Midland and bring entities into uh, Abilene and even El Paso and Amarillo, you get more entities involved in the fight. Lubbock is, it's too big a fight to fight alone. And so whenever you look at this vet school and you've got a group in Amarillo called Amarillo Matters and I'm sure that that group is going to have their own lobbyists working on this issue and then you've got the city of Amarillo itself working on the issue and then you've got whoever the city of Lubbock is going to look at as well as Texas Tech University uh, you help spread out the battle on a few different fronts and make it multi-pronged and the I think that's a smart thing to do. How we started with a uh, scratch on the side of my truck, you just get behind the microphone and you just go with what you got. And those are the things on my mind. Uh, but hopefully that'll be a screech down the side of John Sharp's old beater truck. That's for sure. Uh, coming up, we've got Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Stick right Ross with us. Good stuff coming up. My political counselor. I'm just going to lay down on the couch, ask him questions I think you're interested in. Coming up right here after the break. stars up in the sky. I saw miles and miles of Texas. Each week we got him right here. He is executive editor of the Texas Tribune. I always want to say co-founder, too, because I think that's pretty important. Uh, Ross Ramsey there. Uh, how are you doing today, Ross? Everything's great. How are you, man? You know, I was remiss, and I tried to fix this in the course. I was brought in to talk about 
I did a lot of work on the Texas Tech Regents and what happened with Bob Duncan, and I was brought in to talk about new media, like I'm the local new media guy, like on this website, and what I didn't talk about was how nonprofits may dominate the new frontier of media, Ross, and I'm sorry I didn't bring that up, and we didn't talk about this off air, I'm just thinking about it off the top of my head, um, but I do want to throw you that curveball just to start off with. You guys are a nonprofit. You're doing something that's groundbreaking at the Texas Tribune. Do you think it's the way of, like, for places that may have newspapers in decline, um, you think that's the new wave? You think that you've, you know, it's, you've it's, trailblazed it's a way. I mean, I mean, when you're trying to, when you're putting together a business plan, you're just trying to solve a problem. How do we pay for this thing we want to do? And, what we decided, you know, almost 10 years ago now, we, we were talking about it starting in November of 2008. We opened the doors or, or went online more accurately in November of 2009. And what we found was we didn't think a for-profit model would support what we were trying to do because, you know, if you follow the media business at all, you know that display advertising has fallen off in the last 20 or 30 years. It's kind of fallen off the cliff. You know, um, classified ads have been replaced by things like eBay and Etsy and Amazon, and people don't pay for subscriptions online in the way that they did offline. So you have to find a way to pay for it. And one of the answers to that, I don't know that it's the answer, one of the answers is philanthropy and, you know, going as a nonprofit. So that's the way we went. There are a lot of newspapers and other media that were in existence before that are doing some combination of um, keeping their commercial for-profit but also grabbing to some extent some some philanthropic money. Um, Everybody's just looking for a way to support the work that they want to do. And, you know, we've been been particularly lucky and Texas is a particularly good place to do this. But I think, you know, around the country, local media is in crisis and they're trying to find ways to pay for the kind of news coverage that people would really like to get but you know for various reasons aren't paying for it the same way they used to the work that we want to do ross and here's my follow-up there is do you tell i had a i had a great my freshman year in journalism school at tech i had a great professor freda mcveigh say listen this thing about you being objective you cannot be perfectly objective, but that you can try to be fair. Is that what you guys lay out for new reporters at the Tribune? You, you just strive to be fair. I want to know what's going on. I want I want somebody to go to a place where I don't have time to go, whether that's a government meeting or you know a football game or whatever it is they're reporting on, and come back and tell me what happened so I can make a decision about it. And or so I can think about it, or so I know, so I can be conversant about it. And, you know, I know that when I ask someone, when you went to that thing, whatever it was, what did you see, that I'm going to get their version of it, and that they're going to pay attention to the things they pay attention to, and maybe if I want a full review, I have to talk to more than one person. But what a reporter is supposed to do is come back with the information that you would have been able to see if you've been able to witness an event or talk to somebody yourself. And ideally, 
they present you with enough information that even if their emphasis is not the same as yours might be, they come back and give you enough information so that you can make, in our case, a decision about, you know, democracy. How am I going to vote? How should they have voted? Did that guy perform on that bill, or did she vote that way that I wanted her to? And what do I do about it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm done with my curveballs now, Ross. Uh, let's, let's go to the things <laughs> that we said that we were actually going to talk about here. Collier, Mike Collier, ran pretty down the line, pretty pretty moderated Democrat uh, for lieutenant governor, and, and outperformed Beto O'Rourke in a lot of counties. What do you make of that? Well, you know, overall, the you know the, the first thing to remember is that overall, O'Rourke got more votes than any other Democrat and led the ticket and, you know, in particular did that in the cities. Um, but when you go down and look at the 254 counties in Texas, in 171 of those counties, Mike Collier got more votes than Beto O'Rourke did. Now, O'Rourke outran him in the cities, but you look at that and you say, well, what's going on? down ballot and i think you know it's hard to draw a complete conclusion from one election but you know i think there are a lot more swing voters out in the rural counties than than people account for as you say that you got to realize that those are still really really red areas and much redder than the suburbs or than the cities but there were places in rural texas where a candidate like mike collier did you know outperformed the guy who was getting famous in this election yeah so would the guy who got famous be even more famous had he run more like Collier? That's a, that's a follow-up for me. I, You know, I don't know. I think, you know, this is one of those things where the, the political experts will take this apart and try to figure out... But you, you are know, the from, political from the, expert, Ross. But, but hold on, hold on a minute. <laughs> People who run elections and actually, you know, perform oh, this stuff, okay. I just watch. You know, it, it, you know, don't confuse a guy in the press box with a halfback. Mm. Um, you know, those people are looking at this and trying to figure out what it was different about this election, what worked, what didn't work, you know, from whatever their standpoint is. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats are all trying to do this from their sta- from their various standpoints. And the fact that, you know, that Mike Collier did better in that many counties than uh, Beto O'Rourke, and frankly that Justin Nelson, the attorney general candidate, and Kim Olson, you know, they, they, they got more raw votes in a lot of those counties than Beto O'Rourke. And, you know, I think the the specialists who actually run elections are looking at those numbers and saying, hmm, I wonder what this means. And, and, you know, over the next six months or a year, we'll start to see them adjusting their future plans based on the outcomes of this election. Ross, who is the specialist, though, on the Democratic side? Like, who is the up-and-coming Karl Rove on the Democratic side that's reading the discrepancies between Beto O'Rourke and Collier Olson, uh, looking at what happened, because we know that there is not a huge Democratic infrastructure in Texas, but who's looking at this saying, this is how we begin to capitalize? Well, I think all the people that ran the races, you know, the Beto race that ran the congressional races that were successful for Colin Allred up in Dallas, for Lizzie Fletcher in uh, Houston, you know, those people are all moving up, and I think everybody in the country in politics is looking at the Texas, you know, kids or the new guys or whatever you want to say who are running these campaigns and saying, let's bring them along. They got closer than anybody's gotten in a long time, and that's the future hmm. 
consulting base. I, I don't know that there's a superstar like a Carl Rove or somebody like that. You know, people usually don't rise into positions like that until they're on a presidential, but there's a lot of talent out there on both sides. Yeah. Uh, he is Ross Ramsey every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He has a new piece there at Texas Tribune. That's how I got acclimated to Texas politics. People ask me that, and I say I just read Ross Ramsey. Big stack of highlighted Ross Ramsey. And, the, of course, you didn't acclimate me, me, acclimate me to prairie populism. I did that myself, Ross Ramsey. You were strictly given an analysis, but uh, he gave me the bearings to do it. Let's talk about Dennis Bonin, the presumptive next Speaker of the House. He's out there making hires and and bringing people in and Tex Tribune had a great piece on how's he making these hires and where is this money coming from? What's going on, Ross? Well it's not even the speaker. I mean, well they're not they're not getting paid yet. They're just getting named. And you know okay. he's gonna be um I mean, they're lining up all the things. There's not any real good reason to think he won't be the speaker, but he's not the speaker yet, and he doesn't have the ability to sign a check yet. And until he's in office, um, he's just naming the people who are going to be on his team. Presumably, they get to keep the jobs that they have until, you know, the first week of January. And then when the legislature comes in, the first thing the House does is pass its rules. The second thing it does is elect a speaker, and then they're off to the races. Okay, uh, so tell us about some of these hires. What's it look like to you over 40 years? What kind of house do you expect based upon the hires? Who are some of these hires? You know, these are people that, you know, it wouldn't have been surprising to see a previous speaker hire some of these people. You know, some of these people work for Joe Strauss. Some of them work for Pete Laney. Uh, they're people that are institutional characters. They know their way around the legislature you know by institutional characters i mean they 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 know how this works they're not just new on the scene and um you know it's a complicated system it's a short session as you know and uh it's just hard for them to put it together um if if they don't have a lot of skill so you go to people who've been doing this for a while who've done it for other leaders in state government sometimes for other agencies and uh that's kind of the group that Dennis Bonin has put together. His um, new chief of staff has been a legislative chief of staff for lots of different members. His budget, his leader on the budget staff is the guy who worked for Joe Strauss. On that, he just hired Robbie Cook, who's a former member of the Texas House, um, to help with, you know, all the member issues that come up for a speaker, you know, take care of this guy, take care of that. Show this one how to do constituent services, um, all of those kinds of things. So basically, he's hiring a bunch of experience, and that's been the successful way for his predecessors. And I would expect that you know, I haven't seen anything really that um, was alarming or off of the norm for for a new speaker. So they've been named but not paid. That's the bottom line, right? Yeah. You basically say these are the people that are coming in with me, assuming I come in, and you know if if he's not the next speaker, you know all of these employees are going to be scattered all over the place. Uh, we're going to have a lot to write about if that's the case. Yeah. Any indication that he wouldn't be Ross? Are you hearing anything that says that there might be a coup underway or not nah, that I'm hoping for? Like I'm just it, asking. Nah, this is going you know sort of 
according to Hoyle. It's just, you know, uh, it takes a while. And, you know, like we said when he first said he had the votes, he had two months to stand out there in the open field and see if anybody wanted to take a shot. We've got three weeks, less than three weeks before the session starts. Nobody's done that. There's no reason to think this isn't going to be the next speaker. Yeah. Of course, he's he is elected speaker by 149 uh, fellow members of the House, Ross Ramsey here. The outgoing, speaking of budget, and the outgoing Speaker of the House making waves saying that Texas education, public education, some say is down between 4 and $6 billion. Joe Strauss making the case that the legislature can come up with $5 billion. Uh, what do you make of that, and how $5 billion, Ross Ramsey? I, you know, with all respect, I think it's a little bit of deathbed or you know, I'm sorry, you like broke up a little bit there. What was it? I said, with all respect, it doesn't really. It's a little bit of deathbed oratory. It doesn't really matter what the mm. uh, outgoing speaker thinks. It matters what the incoming speaker thinks. Joe Strauss doesn't have the um, the power to do anything with that. It's an interesting suggestion. It probably represents some of the voices in the House, but I don't think it's something that um, is going to really go anywhere. I, I think, you know, it's just a, it, you know, it's his it's his last hurrah on the way out, but I don't think it's going to get that much attention from the legislature in terms of actually passing the budget. Hmm. But where did he think we could get $5 billion from? You know, the issue here, this has been around for a while, and that's, you know, if you stopped recapture of, School taxes uh, stop sending that money into non-education spending and sending it on other parts of the budget. That you could maybe free up, you know, as much as five billion dollars that's already in the budget. You know, as a practical matter, that means you have to take it away from something else. And you know, that's how the budget fights always go. Hmm. Uh, my second curveball, Charles Schwartner. What do you make it? We we talked about this a little bit in the monologue, Charles Schwartner. Not uh, let go, not in, implicated in an investigation by the University of Texas, a student that was, uh, I guess, an intern with Schwartner, working with his office in some capacity. What do you make of this? And is Schwartner going to have a cloud over his head for a little while? Uh, it was not an intern. It was someone who was doing some stuff at the Capitol and, you know, had had some contact with him. Okay. It's not exactly clear that it had anything to do with his public office or with his position. So the question is whether he had an improper relationship, whether he improperly used a phone, and, you know, I guess down the line whether it involved any of his official status. And they did an investigation in UT, and they concluded they they left a lot of questions open which is you know problematic both from a political standpoint possibly from a legal one uh they they said we don't have the information to prove that he sent lewd photos or lewd messages um but we do have but we can't say that he did uh because we you know we don't know who was controlling the phones or ipads or whatever it was where the things were sent so they, he says they closed the investigation. I think that's a little bit wishful thinking. They didn't close it. They finished their investigation and said they could not reach a conclusion that said that he did these things. And now he's got to, you know, figure out how politically to answer the questions that remain. And there's a bunch of those. Yeah. So you, th- you expect any follow-up from 
the legislature on that, or will it just be run in open question in the media? Um, yeah, I, the media I think they're itself. I think they're trying to figure that out right now. I think the legislature, and particularly the Senate, is looking at this, trying to figure out what they need to do. I, I'm sure Schwartner's doing the same thing. Um, the lieutenant governor is going to look at this and make a decision about you know where does Schwartner, who's been high in his leadership chain. Where is he going to play this time? How does all that work out? It's, it's complicated. It's messy. It's uh, full of problems. And yeah. I think they're, you know, they're just a, they're just 24 hours out from the report. And I think really they're just, you know, the, the comment from the lieutenant governor was, you know, uh, we're going to study this. And I think everybody's hunkered down trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. Uh, he is Ross Ramsey at Ross Ramsey on Twitter. We appreciate you making time each week here, Ross, and uh, learned a lot. Uh, I'm going to get up from the couch now, take a cold drink of water, and we're going to get in with some uh, some tech talk here with Mike Bazaar. Appreciate you, buddy. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Uh, Ross Ramsey. Boys and girls, uh, going to hop off and get into... What's going on with Facebook? And should we all just drop Facebook at this? That's going to be my first question, Mike Bazaar, whenever we come back in. Just get off of it. What should we do? And uh, 3D modeling of my face so other people can get on my phone and order things through Amazon that other people can steal from my porch. What in the world's going on? Is the Internet the Antichrist? That's the bottom line as we get back in on the other side of the Hold on. Quick break. Be right back. To the sound of hailstones hitting ten. It's loud enough, you gotta yell now. The whole thing hits me like a song. A big one that won't last long. You know, speaking of Charles Schwartner down in down in Georgetown. Things may or may not be worse. Uh, could be or could not be worse. Um, something I've got to follow up on. Somebody sent me a note and said, Hey, if you want to see when things were really bad, you need to look up Joe Tom Robbins, who was a state senator out of Lubbock, um, and was arrested in Austin as the session began in 1977 for public intoxication and impersonating a police officer. I've got, I've got to look into that because it, under the category of things could always be worse, uh, some Joe Tom Robbins action. Got to look into that. Have to. Uh, somebody we like talking to on a weekly basis is our friend. We do the analytics. We know a lot of you guys are interested in technology specifically when christmas comes around it's all fun and games to give out those tech gifts until you have to figure out those tech gifts and somebody knows a lot about all of these things is mike bizarre bizarre solutions in lubbock thanks for coming in buddy certainly man i always love it Uh, should i quit facebook or not so if you value your privacy, probably. <laughs> I mean, like, I, we should all just jump off. I just, you know, like, I, so it is, you know, it's a, a text you earlier talking about. So 6.8 million people got their photos exposed. But messages too, right? Messages too, private messages. 
Um, Are they the, the super secret messages too, like the confidential? So they're like just, you can do messages, but then like the hyper confidential messages. So it, it, they haven't. That's the problem. They haven't released all of exactly what, but Who's there was they? messages Who's Facebook, they? right? So everybody's investigating. They aren't. So there was the that there was the messages. There was photos. There is a lot coming up in the Who New York. Who did this go to? So Who third third-party apps. There's about so, eighteen hundred of them, and they haven't listed all of them, and that's the problem. So the you don't Ukrainians even is what you're saying. Well, there's probably some and some Russians, uh, I would guess. But the problem is, and this is what we've always talked about. Like, if you have apps that you've connected, right? You take the silly quiz, and I'm trying to think. If uh, earlier today I saw a couple, but it's you know like. You know, I don't know. One that I saw probably a week ago was like the four superheroes that you are, and you know, people take these just silly quizzes, and, and a then lot they of those post the results they do, and so other people will click it, right? And and that's the whole point. The problem is, is that a lot of those apps to post ask for permission to your website or to the Facebook site, and then you don't pay attention to what permission they're asking for, and now they have access to your site. And some of them are just silly sites; they're trying to sell advertising dollars, and there's really nothing wrong with it. But some of them are bad actors, and they're trying to harvest data and either sell it against, you know, you didn't know they were doing it. The other thing is Facebook contends that they don't sell people's data, but they have all these relationships with their tech giants, and they're finding that they're giving more information than people might have expected. And while Facebook contends that it was only with users' permission, there's a significant set of people, I think, that, that either haven't changed permission settings or they don't realize when they give permission to X, it's really also doing Y and Z, right? And so I always tell everybody, if you're sitting around and you're bored or whatever, you got 10 minutes, go and look at your Facebook apps and see what apps are connected and go get rid of them. One of the ones they found is, you know how you go to a lot of sites and it says log in with Facebook? Yeah. They found that a lot of those sites were getting more permissions than they were supposed to. And so that was part of the reason why some of these things were exposed is because you would go log in with Facebook. So this whole idea of shared logins and everything else really starts to fall apart when the premise behind it is data. Now, what I'm not talking about is on the business side. You know, we try to push for single sign-on and ease of use between, you know, your company apps. And that's different because you're paying for that service and they're not selling your data or harvesting your data or doing anything else. That's, you know, a, a different back end and everything else. So it all comes down to nothing's free. Yeah, Tin Stoffel. That's, that was Miss Morris, my economics teacher. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Tin Stoffel. Yeah. So it, Twitter. It, and Facebook's free. And that's it. And Twitter's the same way. So Twitter's Twitter. free. But why does Twitter always stay out of hot water? They're not. They're why? In. What happened with Twitter? So now Twitter's in hot water. Uh, so there's a couple of interesting things. There is a new... My hair is getting grayer. I'm sorry. This is, this is my job in life is to make people... I, all my hair is gone. So welcome to my world. Um, so Twitter, there's two things interesting that have happened recently. They're being very mum. They have very little that they've released about it, but they say that they think they've detected a state-sponsored attack. Uh, so people connecting APIs, connecting and pulling more data requests than they're supposed to, and they've traced it back to, I believe it was China and Saudi Arabia. And so they say that they've seen that, and and it was weird because the Saudis normally aren't high on the list of state-sponsored hackers. You know, it's usually China, North Korea, Russia. Those are the big ones you hear about. But Twitter has said that there is something, and they just haven't released the extent of what it was. The other one that was interesting recently with Twitter is there's a virus out that actually uses Twitter feeds to look for pictures 
that have embedded code that tell a virus to do something on your computer. Wait, what? Yeah, that's what I said. Break that down. So what it is is you get a virus on your computer. Antivirus software, content filtering, all that stuff looks for known command and control servers, you know, bad code coming and going. Twitter is generally trusted. So what they're doing is they're actually looking for a picture, a, a certain Twitter account, which this Twitter account's been shut down now, but they were looking for a certain Twitter account. And when pictures were put up, they were embedding code that was very hard to see, like in the picture, but the virus would analyze it and it would then do something based on that, right? Delete your data, export your data, encrypt your hard drive, whatever it was. And they think it was just a test. And what they're thinking is that it could potentially be a test to to try to deploy viruses in other ways. Now, none of the viruses came through Twitter, right? You got the virus through other means. Mm-hmm. But it was using Twitter for the command and control conversation that normally is done on other servers. Okay. <laughs> So the end of world end of the world is coming. It yeah, you know, and Twitter and Facebook are leading the way. Yeah. Well, and did you see today or yesterday they came out too and said that Russia used every social media platform to influence the last election, and they just they are out. And some of it is you know the guys that they're just riling up the base or whatever and and making these wild crazy claims, which is the whole fake news you know moniker and everything else is from that. But the Russians are out there trying to influence us, and I'm sure other people are through social media. Can they get that fixed before 2020, Mike Bazaar? I mean, I would venture to say no, simply because it's it's the same problem we deal with in cybersecurity. It's the user, right? I mean, if where is Joe Tom Robbins when you need him? Um, and and that's what we need, right? More stupid, harmless news that goes viral because then people focus on that and not harmful stupid news that goes viral and and the viral is the key in that right if if something goes viral it's really hard to shut down and if if facebook gets good at shutting down but something goes viral and gets a few million views that's already out there and then you have a lot of idiots that believe it just because they saw it somewhere so, you know it's the famous abraham lincoln quote of don't trust everything on the internet it may not be true you know I don't think that was from Lincoln, but <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, right? That's, that's the point, right? Yeah. Uh, Mike Bazaar sitting in with us, visiting about tech news. Um, take a quick break here, Mike, and I want to get in with you on how my phone could be, my iPhone 10 can be hacked. The, the good news is your iPhone's safe. Androids aren't. So oh. we'll talk about that. Okay. So it makes you feel better. Yeah. All these pretentious snobs always say, oh, you've got an iPhone. You just want them to do what they want you to do. <laughs> well, who's who's the smart guy now? <laughs> About 90 seconds to be back with Mike Lazar. Uh, Mike Bazaar back on with us going through some tech talk you know what we <clears throat> i don't want to say this i know an 11 year old girl who may or may not be getting an ipad we're yep. gonna take that up to bizarre solutions and <laughs> you're gonna kid proof it for us <laughs> lock it down a little yeah um get it locked now for for listeners real quick um if they should take it to you but if they don't what would you do first thing they open up that on on christmas morning and then one immediately you take off safari you yes. take off youtube what, what so do you do? if you google because you can get into some more in-depth stuff than we can hit but if you google apple's parental controls with 
iOS 12 and 12.1, they now have some parental controls. So you can you create an online account, basically. Your kid signs into their iPad as them, and it, and it brings these controls. So you can have approved apps. You can block explicit content. Now, none of that is ever going to be the be-all, end-all, right? Just because you tell Apple to block explicit content, they're going to block known explicit content from known sites, but that crap pops up all the time. So again, if you're going to let your kids do YouTube and Safari have free reign on it, you need to have a conversation about if they see things that are unacceptable and whatever else. I think it's yeah, worthwhile having. We that, ain't doing that. I'm just saying. So, yeah. but anyway, so if you look, there's a bunch of them. There's another app called Custodio with a Q U, and it's a parental control app, and that'll let you see like text messages and and things that are sent back and forth. That one costs. Um, but it'll help you lock everything down as well. Yep. And uh, so, anyways, if you look into Apple's parental controls, it's good they have it. Android's had it for a while. Uh, Microsoft actually has a bunch of Windows 10 that you can do, and now Apple's finally catching up to some of that. Yeah, but people should just call you. Give us the website, the the contact for you. Yeah, so it's uh, just bizarresolutions.com. Even if you misspell it, you'll still find us. But it's B A Z A R. Uh, and it's 806-853-7757. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. So, these 3D printers, if whoever hacks Facebook isn't taking over the world, these 3D printers will. Now they can put together your face. Yeah. And how would they put together my face? And let's say I own, you can't do it on an iPhone, you said before the break. Yeah, so they, they used to be able to actually trick early face recognition like a year or two ago with 2D photos. So they take a 2D photo they got of you from somewhere and hold it up and unlock your phone. It's gotten better um, to the point now that, um, and this is Android, so iPhones uh, passed all the tests, but I think it was Forbes or somebody, they got together. It was, they, they tested 100 different phones and, and did different tests and everything, and it was uh, they 3D printed a guy's face. They scanned it in to get as accurate as possible because they wanted to try to fool it. So they got a 3D scanner, scanned the guy's face in, used a 3D printer to print it, and then they held it in front of the phone. And some of the phones, like some of the Samsungs, they had to play with lighting and get the angle just right, but they were able to unlock uh, pretty much every Android phone. Uh, but they could not get the iPhone to unlock with a fake face. And it's because the uh, iPhone has multiple cameras and some true depth, a few other fancy things they've done that make it harder. So mm. the iPhone was actually was the only one that wasn't, but... So if you have Android and Facebook, you're definitely going to technology hell. Well, that's, yeah, you just give up now. (laughs) Go ahead and wave the white flag. So we're talking about this at the house. We were actually talking about this this weekend. Um, There are the 179 tax deductions that you got to spend before the end of the year. Uh, your, Your suggestions on what folks who need to blow some money to get some tax cuts yeah. um what are some technology solutions might bizarre that folks yeah. should be looking at so the thing i always tell everybody so end of the year and i think this tax year and don't quote me i'm no tax attorney or whatever on it but i think it's up to a million it's at least a half a million dollars i believe on section 179 so if you've had a good year in your business it's a good time if you need to upgrade some stuff to look at buying new computers Um, new servers, new network equipment. A lot of people will sit on network equipment for a long time, and new switches or routers can make it faster and more secure. Um, A lot of people don't think about it, but with uh, computers, if you do the time, if you add it up, see, you've got a computer for, you know, three, four years. And if you're taking an extra five, ten seconds to open a document or open an app, if you can save something like 
30 seconds a day. It adds up to a few hundred dollars in productivity over the course of a year pretty quickly. And so a lot of people want to sit on a computer and upgrade it every five, six, seven years. And the real math says you should do it between three and four years because you're actually going to gain productivity that will offset the cost. And I don't just say that because we're trying to sell computers or whatever, but there really is a lot of people just sit on them and they get a new one and they go, oh, this is so fast. And if you could do that more often, you can save a lot of money productivity-wise, make your employees more productive, and they'll get more stuff done. You make more money. Yeah. So I'm asking this for the program. A good time for me to just go in and get that new iPad. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to use it for work, you can justify it for it, and then it's a write-off. And so, yeah, get the iPad, get new phones, you know, even new cell phones, that kind of thing. Um, We do a lot of computer upgrades. Um, Ask customers. Like right now, we'll go through and start talking to them and saying, hey, look, if you're going to buy them in the next quarter, why not buy them now? Save the tax dollars because you're going to spend the money in the next kind of 90 days Do you get a cut on, like, I'm sure you can get iPads at cost. So we're not an Apple dealer because it's okay. a huge pain in the butt. And Apple <laughs> Apple hardware has something like a 5% margin to dealers. It's just not worth the effort. Yeah. Okay. So, But what could people come in and get from you that they would be saving money on and you could help them Yeah, so a- any really PC stuff, right? Laptops, desktops, you know, monitors, like I said, network equipment, if they've thought about upgrading their server, um, antivirus stuff we can get a lot of. You got any 60-inch monitors? Uh, you know, we can. We can actually get TVs nice. and other stuff through our distribution. Some of the time we can get good deals, and sometimes Amazon will kick our butt, and we'll tell you, right? I mean, we're not trying to pull the wool over anybody's mm-hmm. eyes, but every once in a while we can find a great deal. Um, but really now it's getting to the point that 24-inch monitors are kind of standard, and 27 is really standard even, and, and so the 29s and 30s are getting more expensive, but it's all come way down in price and so you know it's it's worth looking at and upgrading stuff and being able to have multiple screens increases productivity a lot of stuff like that new software a lot of people have really old copies of office um and and the thing to look at is if it's not supported you can't get updates and it becomes a security risk and and so to minimize security risk you need to make sure you're updating your stuff yeah uh so the holidays we won't have you on next week mike but um Things, anything else that folks need to be thinking about as they make those last-second purchases? No, I mean, you know, the one thing I I think people should look at, and it's probably almost too late, unfortunately, in terms of porch thieves, but, um, you know, it made me think about it with that viral YouTube video going around. I don't know if you saw that with the NASA engineer and the mm-hmm. throwing glitter and fart spray. But getting front door cameras, either ring doorbells, Nest has one. Those are probably the two best, um, which Nest is Google. So take that with a grain of salt with all the stuff we talk about, Google harvesting all your information. Um, But uh, if they have those cameras, then they're less likely to steal because they're never going to get caught. Um, And the funny story was I was talking to one of the guys in the office. He said they put one up because their apartment was getting robbed. Not theirs, but the other ones in the complex were getting robbed. They hung one of those up, and the next day they got a recording in the audio, and it was the guys talking saying, is that a camera on the door? And it was like right around the corner, kind of they walked by, so they didn't see who it was. But they basically were having this conversation about how, well, now we can't rob that house because it's got a camera on the front door. So yeah. it'll slow porch thieves and some of those guys down. Um, obviously, you can't always stop it. But how much are the plans? Because I look at those free. ring things. No, but like the recording on it. So if I you think... want to keep the recording, so if you don't keep the recording, it's free, right? So if you just want the doorbell so you can see. If you want to keep the recording, it's something like 3 bucks a month. It's Just cheap. 3 Yeah, it's cheap. Because I thought it was kind of like, here's a great printer, uh, 
but the cartridge is going to cost you up. No, it's, it really was. I was surprised because at first I thought, I'm not going to do that. It's got a 30-day trial or whatever. But it was like three or four bucks a month. It's pretty cheap. Yeah. And so I think it's worth it. Yeah. Well, he is Mike Bazaar and um, Bazaar Solutions. Thank you for making time, bud. Yeah, certainly. Always fun to talk tech talk with you. Well, if I'm not scaring the crap out of you. Yeah, it's going to be fun tomorrow here on the show as well, and as well as Friday. And uh, appreciate you tuning in, telling friends that you hang out here on the other side of Texas. I'm going to get home. Got to get home. Great family, above average dinner, waiting. Going to go look at some Christmas lights tonight. Until next time, rave on, buddies, rave on. It's who we